I'd like you to take your Bibles now. Let's open them to Joshua chapter 13. And this evening, we begin the second part of the study of Joshua. And this, this second part is really not filled with all the exciting stories and the battle scenes and the miracles uh, that took place in the first part of the book. But we come down to the time now, and Joshua is an old soldier. Uh, the military campaigns to take Canaan are over. And now everything is winding down. Joshua takes off his military hat and he puts on the hat of Israel's governmental administrator. And so he has the job now of dividing the land up and giving all the children of Israel their particular inheritance in the land of Canaan. Well, this was a very exciting time for Israel. They'd never owned any land before. Uh, they had been given a promise 500 years before this time, the promise made to Abraham. And since that time, they had been a nomadic people. Then they, of course, moved into slavery in Egypt for all of those years. And then now, finally, they come to the place where they're able to go in and possess this land that God has promised to them. Now, the conquest of Canaan at this point is not actually completely over. There are still some pockets of resistance there. But as far as the uh, entire nation coming together and all the tribes fighting together as one, they're no longer doing that. But what each uh, tribe had to do was to go in and root out those remaining areas, uh, pockets of resistance, and then to possess their own land. In some cases, they did that. They did completely drive out the Canaanites, but in other cases, they didn't. And when they didn't, those Canaanites continued to be a thorn in Israel's side. One of the peoples that Israel did not completely drive out was the Philistines. And all the way up to the time of David, which is about 400 years after the time we're reading now, all the way up to the time of David and beyond, those Philistines uh, were still fighting the children of Israel. Well, as we come to these middle chapters in Joshua, chapters 13 to 21, uh, what we run into when we try to preach messages from this is there's not a lot of room for exposition. What you have in these chapters are mainly uh, names of people, names of places, the boundary lines that have been set. And uh, we could study all of that and we could talk about it, but I'd probably get lost in the middle of it and can pronounce all the names and you would too. There are people who have, who have dedicated themselves to that study, and I'm sure that it's important because everything that's in the Word of God is important. But I think it's more beneficial for us if we just uh, take an overview of this and then we uh, study something tonight from this passage, uh, uh, this part of the Scripture that's for our greater edification. I want to read uh, just a couple of verses tonight from Joshua chapter 13. We'll read verse number 1 of this chapter, and then we'll skip down to verse number 7. So if you'll stand with me, please, we'll read these two verses. Uh, Joshua 13, verse number 1. Now Joshua was old and stricken in years. And the Lord said unto him, Thou art old and stricken in years, and there remaineth yet very much land to be possessed. Now if we go down to verse number 7. Now therefore divide this land for an inheritance unto the nine tribes and the half-tribe of Manasseh. Heavenly Father, thank you for uh, the time that we spend together today. We ask you, Lord, that we might be able to learn something from your word this evening. Uh, teach us some good doctrinal truths from your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I want you to look at verse number 7 again. Now, therefore, divide this land for an inheritance unto the nine tribes and the half-tribe of Manasseh. Well, there you see nine and a half tribes, and we know that Israel is, consists of 12 tribes. 
So why nine and a half tribes? Well, you may remember that two and a half of the tribes had already received their inheritance. That was on the eastern side of Jordan. And now what's left here is to divide the rest of the land that's on the western side of Jordan between these nine and a half tribes. Now what follows here in this chapter, uh, as it goes on, is a description of the boundaries that were set for the tribes. Before I get into the main part of the lesson tonight, I just want to remind you that the southern two tribes of of, uh, Benjamin and Judah were very closely allied. They became very strong allies throughout history. And they were the last two tribes that were overtaken. The ten northern tribes were were overrun uh, by... by, uh, uh, people from other lands, and, and, and they were conquered. But Judah and Benjamin stayed longer. They stayed true to the Lord longer. Of course, they went into the Babylonian captivity, and when they came back out of that, that's when uh, Ezra uh, built the temple. Zerubbabel built the temple, and Ezra, Ezra brought the people back, and Nehemiah rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem. So when you come to the time of the New Testament, when the Bible talks about Jews, It's mainly talking about those two tribes, the ones that are in Benjamin and and in Judah. So the Bible uh, uh, speaks of of Jews in the New Testament from those two tribes, but you remember also that the northern tribes were very much despised and hated by the Jews, by those southern tribes. And that's because uh, they had intermarried with all these different countries that had overrun them and and, uh, had conquered them. So the Samaritans, for instance, uh, Jews hated to go through Samaria. And that's because these people were not pure stock Jews. They're Jews that had intermarried with other people. Well, what I want to do tonight is to talk to you about the inheritance that was given to Israel and the inheritance that God has for each of us as his people. Everyone who trusts in Jesus Christ, the Bible teaches we have an inheritance. So the subject tonight is the inheritance of the saints. Uh, Paul talks about our inheritance. He mentions that in Ephesians and in Colossians. If you believe that Paul wrote the book of Hebrews, he also talks about it there. And God has given, as I said, all who are believers in Christ an inheritance. Well, how did all of that come about? And how is it that that God brings us into that inheritance? Well, I want to begin tonight with this thought, that it all began because God established a covenant. And I want to remind you, first of all, that God is a covenant-making God, and God is a covenant-keeping God. And despite uh, what we're told by many who have some mixed-up theology, that God had a plan and purpose for this world. And I don't mean that by that, that God had a plan and purpose for the physical world, all that's true. But God had a plan and a purpose for a particular people that he's chosen out of the world. Now, God started with a plan and with a covenant. And God works through his covenants in all times, in all places. And that covenant helps to affect the plan that God puts in place. So the outworking of the, of the covenant inheritance that God gave Israel came through the promise that, that God made to Abraham. I want you to turn to Genesis chapter 17, and we're going to read uh, some scripture here where, where God came to Abraham and made him the promise. Now, this is when Abraham's name was still Abram. His name had not been changed. And this is in Genesis 17. We'll start reading with verse number 1. And when Abram was 90 years old and 9, the Lord appeared to Abram and said unto him, I am the Almighty God. Walk before me, and be thou perfect." And I will make my covenant between me and thee, and will multiply thee exceedingly. 
And Abram fell on his face, and God talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with thee, and thou shalt be a father of many nations. Neither shall thy name any more be called Abram, but thy name shall be Abraham, for a father of many nations have I made thee. And that's what Abraham means, a father of many nations. And I will make thee exceeding fruitful, and I will make nations of thee, and kings shall come out of thee. And I will establish my covenant between me and thee and thy seed after thee in their generations for an everlasting covenant to be a God unto thee and to thy seed after thee. And I will give unto thee and thy seed after thee the land wherein thou art a stranger, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. Now I want you to notice first of all that when we talk about the inheritance of Israel, that Canaan is the covenant possession of Abraham. So God appeared to Abraham and he said to him, Abram, I'm choosing you to be a father of a great nation. And I'm choosing you to be the head of a family in which I intend to bring a particular people, a particular blessing upon my people. I'm making a covenant with you, and I promise you that I'm going to give you a special land in which I'm going to bring these people in to live. Now, that was a very special call that was made to Abraham. It's a call that's made to no one else and even though there were thousands upon thousands of people that were living on the world in the world at that time, yet that call came specifically to Abraham, and God said to him, Abram, you are the one that I have chosen. Now when we go to the book of Joshua, here we got who find God fulfilling the promise of that land. Now, the promise had been renewed several times throughout history. Um, Most notably, it was renewed just before Israel went in to possess the land. This was about 40 years. I mean, uh, right there when Israel was ready to come out of Egypt. This is when God appeared to Moses. I want you to turn to Exodus 3, if you would, please, and keep your Bibles open tonight because we're going to read a few scriptures. But in Exodus chapter 3, this is where God appears to Moses at the burning bush. And in verse number 16, God says to Moses, Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say unto them, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob, appeared unto me, saying, I have surely visited you and seen that which is done to you in Egypt. And I have said, I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt into the land of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites unto a land flowing with milk and honey. Now that's what God told Moses to do. He said, you go and you gather the elders of the people together. And the intention here is that Moses is going to speak to Pharaoh and tell him, of course, that God wants him to let the people go. So that's what Moses did. He and Aaron went to see Pharaoh. Uh, They gave Pharaoh the message. But when they did, things didn't seem to be too promising. Because when they told Pharaoh that, all that Pharaoh did was to increase the burden upon the people that were in slavery. So Moses went back to God. And he said, God, things aren't working too well. This plan doesn't seem to work. Things are getting worse. And that's when God came to Moses again, and very forcefully, he mentions this covenant that had been made so long ago. Now, if you would turn over to Exodus chapter 6, just a few pages there, and we're looking at Exodus 6 chapter 2. God comes back to Moses, and here it says, And God spake unto Moses, and said unto him, I am the Lord. And I appeared unto Abraham, unto Isaac, and unto Jacob by the name of God Almighty. But by my name Jehovah was I not known to them. 
And I have also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land of their pilgrimage, wherein they were strangers. And I have also heard the groaning of the children of Israel, whom the Egyptians keep in bondage. And listen, I have remembered my covenant. Now, that's one thing that we ought never to forget. God does not break the covenant. God keeps the promise. The covenant will always stand. Now, Israel, of course, they were freed by God's hand. Just like God said, he brought them out of Egypt. And now they're finally ready to go in to possess the land of Canaan. Now, the only problem that they have when they get there is that there are people that are already living in that land. But, of course, Israel is descended from Abraham. And who's the promise given to? It's given to Abraham. And God said, this is your land, and I gave it to you, and I didn't give this land to anybody else. So this land didn't belong to the Canaanites that lived there, and that's why we have all these battles to try to drive the people out. So God did not say to them, he said, now I'm going to give you the land of Canaan, but what I want you to do, I want you to move in with the Canaanites. I want you to make friends with them. I want you to uh, join up with them. I want you to intermarry with them. I want to be one great big Hackabee family because Canaanites are my people too. That's not what God said. This was Israel's land. This is their land particularly. And God said, drive those Canaanites out because the Canaanites are not my chosen people. Now, I think that we learned something from that. And what we learn is the particular nature of God's choice. Now, God certainly has the right to choose. And if God had wanted to, he could have chosen all of the people that were living then, including all of the Canaanites. But God didn't do that. Instead, he chose one particular nation, and God fulfilled the covenant through that nation. What is that? Well, that's a picture of how God still works through a covenant people. And what God decided to do with spiritual Israel... That's the spiritual seed of Abraham, is to also give them an inheritance. Now, what is the inheritance that God gives to spiritual Israel? This is what it is. Heaven is the covenant possession of believers. Abraham in Scripture is called the father of the faithful. And in the New Testament, it refers to all of those who believe in Jesus Christ as the spiritual seed of Abraham. Now, this is what Paul says in Galatians chapter 3. He says, For ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. For ye are all one in Christ Jesus. Now, listen. And if ye be Christ, then are ye Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So do you see that? Every one of us in here tonight that are believers in Jesus, the Bible says that we are Abraham's seed. By faith, you are the seed of the spiritual father of the faithful, and that makes you an heir of the promise. Now, in Hebrews, the Bible tells us that Abraham had his eyes on something more than the land of Canaan. He was looking beyond that because Abraham was also a child of God. And so in Hebrews 11, it says, By faith, he sojourned in the land of promise, as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs of him of the same promise. For he looked for a city with foundations whose builder and maker is God. And so what Abraham was looking for is heaven. Heaven is the place that God had chosen to give his people. The apostle Paul wrote in Philippians 3, For our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Now, I wouldn't mind tonight making this a sermon all about heaven. That would be a good thing to do. Canaan was a land that was flowing with milk and honey, but Canaan had nothing on heaven. Canaan's no comparison to heaven. I like to talk about heaven. I like to talk about the gates of pearl and those, and those streets of gold and all the good things and the mansions and all those things that God has prepared for those who, who believe in him. But most of all, we love the fact, and I love the fact, that the person that we're going to see there is the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is what Paul is saying. Jesus is the light of the city of heaven. And as Paul says in Philippians 3 verse 20, he's the one that we're looking for. Now, there's nothing at all uh, wrong with sermons about heaven. But my purpose tonight is not to talk to you about the inheritance itself. I want to speak to you about the people of the inheritance. Who are the people of the inheritance? What about those people? Who are the spiritual seed of Abraham? And so the question is, are these a particular people too? Are these people chosen out specially as Abraham was chosen and as Israel was chosen? Well, I want to remind you that Again, that God works through a covenant. God doesn't work randomly. God always works with a plan and a purpose. And the scriptures are very clear about this, that God works with spiritual Israel because of a covenant. Well, what is that covenant? What am I talking about? Well, it's not a covenant that God made with me. It's not a covenant that God made with you. God didn't come to me specifically and say, hey, I'm going to make a covenant with you over these things. He didn't come to you and do that. Just like he didn't go to all the individual Israelites and say to them, well, I'm going to make a covenant with each one of you. God didn't do that. Instead, God made the covenant through a representative. Who is the representative of Israel? Well, that's Abraham. And so that's why God came and made the covenant with him. And all the people are blessed because of the representative. God makes the covenant with him and all of Israel benefits because of the covenant. Well, the same thing is true in the covenant for, uh, of belief for believers. And that is that God made a covenant uh, for a heavenly inheritance. And the person that he made that covenant with was none other than his son. The covenant is between God and his son. And the Bible tells us when that happened, it was before the foundation of the world. Now, in John 17, uh, Jesus speaks about that covenant where God promised him something. In John 17, 6, uh, Jesus said, I have manifested thy name unto the men which thou gavest me out of the world. Thine they were, and thou gavest them me, and they have kept thy word. In John 17, 9, he says, I pray for them. I pray not for the world but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine. So God has made this uh, promise of the inheritance to his chosen people. In other words, those who trust in Christ are God's children. God has made a covenant with the eternal Son, and by virtue of their faith in Jesus Christ, they receive the benefits of that covenant that's been made. And so they become heirs of the promise of God. But there's something particular about these people because these aren't all of the people of the world. Neither did God say, I have chosen all of the people of the world to be my people. There are some, according to John 17, that were given to Christ, and there are some who are not given to, them, to him. And so this is why Jesus said, I pray for those that thou hast given me. Now, Israel was not all the people of the world. They were Israel. Israel's just one chosen nation. And God did not choose all people when he chose Israel. He chose Israel. And when God chose for salvation, he did not choose all people. He chose a particular people. 
And that can't be any clearer than what the Apostle Paul said in both Ephesians 1 verse 4 and in 2 Thessalonians 2.13. In Ephesians 1.4 he wrote, According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. In 2 Thessalonians 2.13, he said, But we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth. Now we notice there that the choice is in him. Ephesians 1.4 says that this is in him. So who is that? Well, it's Jesus Christ. And, and Jesus is the representative. Now, just like Abraham was a representative of that earlier covenant, Jesus Christ is the representative of this covenant. And so it's in him that we receive the inheritance. We're beneficiaries because of him. Now, Paul states that in Ephesians 1, verse 11. He says, "...in whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his will." Now, we make a terrible mistake... When we think that all of this is about us. That God did anything without first considering his plan and his purpose. That God did anything without considering, first of all, I have made a covenant with my son. And based upon that covenant is the only reason that I do anything for anybody in the world. Now, there's the popular notion today is that God has put just enough faith into every individual... Every individual is born with a little bitty seed of faith, and all that they need to do is to exercise that little bit of faith that God has given. So people come to the conclusion that I can come to Christ, I can be saved anytime I want to, I can believe. When I decide to be saved, that's when I'll be saved. But you know, there is not one word in all of the scriptures to support an idea like that. God has not put faith into everyone. In fact, the scripture says all men have not faith. But what did God do? He did something. He put faith into those that were given to Christ. He regenerates them in order that they might believe. Uh, And the purpose of that is that they might come to understand the gospel and to be saved. Now these are the ones that are partakers of this particular covenant. Now listen to what Paul says in Titus chapter 1. I love Paul because he loved the doctrines of grace and he taught them. But listen to what he says. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledging of the truth which is after godliness, in hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. Now I want you to notice there the word elect. Very clear word in Scripture. The elect are God's chosen and chosen covenant people. Now, what do these elect people of God get? It says here, in hope of eternal life. And that's the same thing as saying that they have the inheritance of heaven. Now, I want you to notice there when this was promised. It said it was promised before the world began. Well, did anybody ever notice or understand that there were no people before the world began? So who did the promise, who was the promise given to? There's no people. Who's it given to? The promise is given to Jesus, the representative who stands for all of us as our representative, as the mediator of the covenant. And that's how the Bible just comes together perfectly and explains this for us. Now that leads me right into the next statement that I want to make, and that is that God bestowed the covenant. God is the one who puts the covenant into place. 
Now I want you to turn, if you would, to Romans chapter 4. And we notice here that, that every step of fulfilling the covenant is an act of God's grace. And the scriptures are very clear to point out to us that God came to Abram while he was yet an unbeliever. Abraham had done nothing at all. Nothing was in him to merit God's choice. Now, when Paul's making an argument about uh, justification by faith, he brings up a question in the book of Romans. In Romans 4, verse number 9, he says, Cometh this blessedness then upon the circumcision only or upon the uncircumcision also? Now, what he's doing there, he's making a case that God has also chosen the Gentiles for salvation. He says, For we say that faith was reckoned to Abraham for righteousness. How was it then reckoned? When he was in circumcision or in uncircumcision? Not in circumcision, but in uncircumcision. And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of faith, which he had yet being uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all them that believe, though they be not circumcised, that righteousness might be imputed to them also. Well, what's all that about? Well, what, that te- what that te- uh, that's telling us is that God, or the covenant of God, was granted freely. God gives this covenant freely. In other words, God does not bestow this covenant, or he does not bestow the promise of the covenant out of any obligation. What God was doing with Abraham, he wasn't rewarding Abraham for some good that he had done. He didn't look down at Abraham and said, well, you know, you're a pretty righteous fellow, Abraham. You're, you're trying to follow me. You're trying to seek after me. You're trying to have faith in me. And so I think you're the person that I want to make the covenant with. No, the Bible makes it very clear that Abraham was a worshiper of idols. He knew nothing about the one true God. And so God did not come to him because he saw something in Abraham. Nothing in Abraham caused God to make a covenant with him. Now, the same thought uh, is carried through as we think about Abraham's descendants. Abraham became a father of many nations, but there was only one nation upon the earth that was blessed. And those are the ones that came through Abraham, then Isaac, and then Jacob. Now, Jacob is a real good, good case study. I mean, because Jacob is certainly not a person that we would have chosen. Jacob was, was a shifty fellow. He, he was a schemer. He was a supplanter. He was a liar. And God would never have chosen him based upon anything that Jacob did. So what does the Bible say about it then? Well, it wasn't anything that was in Jacob. He said, before either Isaac or, or Jacob, or excuse me, Esau or Jacob were born, God had already decided which one of these children he would choose. In Romans chapter 9, Paul writes about it. He says, For the children, being not yet born, neither having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God, according to election, might stand, not of works, but of him that calleth. It was said unto her, The elder shall serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. Now, if nothing else, Esau should have been the one that was chosen because of primogenitor. Now, does everybody know what primogenitor means? That means that he was the firstborn, and so he receives the rights of the firstborn. So he should have been the one chosen. But before either one of them were born, before either could do any good or evil, the Bible says, God had already decided that he would choose Jacob. So God overlooked Esau, and it wasn't based upon anything that he saw that Jacob would do, or even that Esau would not do, because this was before either child was born. But you know, there are some people who say, well, yes, we agree with you. God does choose people. 
Now they admit to that God chooses people because it's totally impossible to write election out of the Bible. You have to believe in some kind of election because the word is there. And so they say, yes, we understand God chose people, but God chose them because he could see the future. He sees that they will believe. And so God chooses on the basis of foreseen faith. Well, if that were true, then that means that the choice of God is not made freely. God chooses someone because he's obligated to that person because they have displayed faith. Now, do you see a problem with that? The problem is it doesn't agree with the scriptures. It doesn't agree with Romans 9. It doesn't fit with Romans 4. And it doesn't fit with Romans 11. Now, in Romans 4, verse 4, Paul says, Now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. In Romans 11, he said, Even so then, at the present time, there is a remnant according to the election of grace. And if by grace, then it is no more of works. Otherwise, grace is no more grace. But if it be of works, then it is no more grace. Otherwise, work is no more work. Now, here's what happens. When faith becomes meritorious... And when God is obliged to a person because of foreseen faith, that makes faith a work. And when faith becomes a work, salvation can no longer be of grace. Recently, I read where a preacher said that the word sovereign does not belong with grace. He said, you can't even use sovereign as a modifier for grace. There is no such thing as sovereign grace. He said, if you had sovereign grace, then that would mean that God forces you to take grace. And so, therefore, it can't be grace. And my answer to that is, how pathetic are puny minds that consider such things? Grace is God's choice. And if it can't be bestowed other than sovereignly, then it can only be bestowed because of obligation. It has to be because of some merit if it's not bestowed sovereignly. And so, if anyone uh, objects that, that God has chosen or not chosen to bestow grace upon all people then they had better be ready to argue why grace, God would bestow grace upon any people. This is God's sovereign choice. So what does this tell us? Well, it tells us next that the covenant is granted discriminately. Now, if it can't be granted discriminately, then there has to be a reason why it can't be. Well, does that mean that God can't be gracious uh, unless he does for all what he's done for one? Where in Scripture would you find anything to support that? You can't go to Abraham. You can't go to Israel. God said to Israel, drive out the Canaanites. And why did he say that? Because they're not his people. The inheritance does not belong to them. And, and God never appeared to any Canaanite and told him the same thing that he said to Abraham. Now, here's what God has also said to Israel. In Amos chapter 3, verse 2, You only have I known of all the families of the earth. Therefore, I will punish you for all your iniquities. What does God mean by that? You only have I known of all the families of the earth. How could God say that? God knows everything. God, God has perfect knowledge of everything. God knows all people. God knows all, all, all families. He knows all places. How could he not know all the families of the earth? So why does he say to Israel, you only of the families of the earth have I known? Well, that tells us that there must be something more to this word known. You only have I known. There has to be something more to that. It can't be just knowledge of a fact. It can't be just mere prescience of something. It has to mean something else. And indeed, it does mean something else. Because what God is saying here, you only have I placed my love and my affection on. You only have I chosen to be my people. You only have I made a covenant with. 
Now, not surprisingly at all, when we talk about the inheritance of the spiritual seed of Abraham, that we find the very same thing taught in the New Testament. This is in Romans uh, chapter 8, verses 29 and 30. And what we have here is discriminating love, we have a discriminating covenant, and we have discriminating grace. It's taught in the New Testament. Here's what Paul said. For whom he did foreknow... He also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. And whom he called, them he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. Now look in verse number 29 at the word foreknow. What does the word foreknow mean? Well, if that means that God foreknew all people, if that's what it means, that he simply knows all people, then it means that all are foreknown, and it means that all are called, all are justified, all are glorified. But we know that can't be true because not all are called, not all are justified, and not all will be glorified. If that were true, we'd never have to preach another sermon about hell. So what's he talking about? What he means is, it means those that God foreloved. Same thing he meant in Amos chapter 3. And what this is is a particular subset of people. And that just so happens they coincide with the very same ones we talked about earlier. These are the elect of God in the Son. And who are they? The ones given to Christ before the foundation of the world. Now this is just a magnificent way that God's provided for our redemption. Did God do that because he, he saw something in me or in you? Did God do it because he was obligated in any way to any person? And the answer to that question is obviously no. God does all things according to the pleasure of his will. Whatever God does, he does only to please himself. Now somehow that just doesn't fit people's idea of God. They don't like this because they have to have a God who's manipulated by man to fulfill man's purposes. That's not the God that we serve. Now let me finish part number one of this message with this statement. Thank God he chose me because I would never choose him. Now there was Abraham sitting in Ur of the Chaldees. He had no thoughts of the one true God. He was an idol worshiper, just like his father and just like his father before him. They all worshiped these strange gods. And yet God came to Abraham with a covenant, came to Abram with a covenant, changed his name to Abraham and made him the father of a multitude. Now, as Abram did not know the one true God when God came to him, neither did we know the one true God when he came to us. We loved our ways. We loved ourselves. We had our own set of little gods that we worship. But then God came through all of that, and for Christ's sake, on, on, because of Christ, the one that the covenant is made with, for Christ's sake, God came and he, made a, he chose us. He chose me. And I thank God that he chose me. And you ought to be thankful too if you're a child of God because you would never have chosen him. Now next week, we're going to come back to this. We're going to discuss part number two of this message, the inheritance of the saints. And we're going to talk a whole lot more about God's amazing grace and this amazing covenant that he made with Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for just the wonders that we find in your word How this all comes together when we see a great covenant-making and great covenant-keeping God. Lord, that you have decided even before this world was ever made 
exactly what you would do through your son. And you had a people that you would call out for your name. We thank you, Lord, that you've revealed that truth to us. Help us, Lord, as we ponder these things to to really bow down and stand in awe, as we just sung a moment ago. Stand in awe because of him, because of the sovereignty of your grace. A blessing this invitation tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's